Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. We did something last year that was extremely valuable for our company. We had our first strategy meeting. Now, I always thought strategy was overrated. I'll be like, I had no idea. I mean, who has time for this? Just like coaching. I never thought like, who does that? I completely switched my mind on that. We had an amazing strategy session. But I think the thing with strategy is that you really need to dissect who you are as an organization, as a company, and what is the purpose that you have in this world? Why does your company exist, right? And you need to be able to answer those set of questions in order to make decisions that make sense for your company and that will provide that scale. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah and I share many things, but one of the things that we share is our love for our friends at Campbell's. And I bring up Campbell's right now because at Micmac, we've had the opportunity to work on V8. And I love the story of V8. You can all picture V8 right now. It's a drink, but it's actually a substitute to a snack. And the premise was, hey, like, let's actually go and try to steal market share from like granola bars. But grocers kept putting V8 in the drink aisle. And Ecom actually gave the organization an opportunity to reinvent what the snacking aisle should look like. And then all of a sudden, America started to think that V8 could be a substitute for a snack. I bring this story up because we have a great entrepreneur who's about to come onto the show, who through her own grit had to convince the biggest grocers in the United States that breakfast should actually be in an entirely different aisle. I think it's a really important point to recognize that e-commerce does not discern by aisles. They discern by keyword, they discern by category. And so it's really up to the brand to make sure that they're being discovered in places where they think they have a right to play, regardless of whether or not that product is refrigerated, frozen, locked and loaded in a use case. You get to actually use this for such extensibility. Chris Hauser from Sargento talked about this as well. This was quite a while back about how cheese, cheese is the snack. And you're stuck in the dairy case being considered for lasagna, but really it's really a great afternoon break. So 
I think that that's where e-commerce doesn't discriminate by aisle. And I think that that's something incredibly special. How you convince a retailer to do that in-store, that's grit. It takes someone like Anouk, who is the CEO and co-founder of Belgian Boys. Please listen in on her incredible journey with an incredible other co-founder that she talks about. You're in for a treat. Today, we are happy to have a friend, somebody we look up to, and an incredible entrepreneur, Anouk Gottlieb, the CEO of Belgian Boys. Anouk, I would love for more people to hear your OG story. Tell us a little bit more about how this extremely powerful brand came about. Well, thank you so much for having me on, also for calling me a friend. The feeling is very mutual. I was like, wait. You don't think that? <laughs> I do. You know what? It's nice because you are creating relationships when you are in this industry and they're real, right? And I'm super grateful for that. So thank you for having me on and for being so amazing. Our OG story. Yes. You can hear it from my accent. I'm not from the US. I'm actually from Belgium. So Greg, who's the founder of the company, Greg moved to Boston for college from Belgium and you know, just like I guess every expat was bringing treats that he grew up with, like nostalgic for stuff from home, waffles, cookies, and all those kind of things to college. And his American friends in the dorms were like, oh my God, this is so good. Where can I buy it? They couldn't find it here uh, back in those days. And he's like, well, maybe this is something I, I should explore after college. And my background is actually fashion design. I met Greg on a plane from Belgium to New York. So we met in the air. That's also how I got on to this company. I was his plus one on the journey, literal plus one, because he's also my husband and we have two kids. And so this is a true family affair. The ROI of this plane ticket. Right? It was actually a continental airline flight who is no longer, right? This is now United. This is really OG. This is like super duper OG. Back when flights were still like affordable. Yeah, we, my background was just like fashion. And I said to Greg, well, like, this is a, such a cool idea. I love it. But can't just put a waffle in a wrapper on a shelf, right? We got we to gotta make clothes for it. It's got to look good. That was kind of my visual creative background. I was just like, let's tell our story through how it looks, right? Because I mean, with food, you taste it. But how do you make your consumer fall in love if they can taste it on the shelf? That's what we set out to do so many years ago. The way that you just described branding, it was perfect. We can't just put a waffle in a wrapper. We have to give it clothes and give it a story. The simplest, most perfect illustration of brand building. So I just, I love what you just said. Thank you. You learn while you do also. I think that's part of branding, but then also our originally brand and how it looked initially is not how it looks today. So there's a lot of learnings from being on the market, from listening to the consumer that you adapt along the way. And if I look at the first designs and the first packaging, it's, it's a big difference from how it looks today. So I'll give the credit to my amazing team now who does all the branding and has really elevated the way our brand shows up in our consumer's life. Well, speaking about team, you are the head of the team. You are the CEO. You're obviously a female CEO. What is it like 
to lead this brand as a female CEO operating in an ecosystem where there's, there's probably not so many of you running CPG organizations? I'm figuring it out. I've never been a CEO in my life. I've never run a CPG brand in my life. And I'm surrounded by amazing people that are so much smarter than me that I can learn from every single day and make the best decision and steer the organization in the best way that I believe is right with all the information that I have around me. It's definitely a learning curve. I do suffer from imposter syndrome a lot of times, but you get better at it. You learn from it. You have open discussions. I also have some other amazing friends in CPG that are kick-ass rockstar CEOs that I'm super proud of. And it's about that community that I was able to create to have those peers around me to exchange like challenges, opportunities, and how do you deal with this situation? How do you deal with that situation? Don't see everything... I want to say the judgment or the things that you think people are thinking about as obstacles, but as like, tell me so that I can be better and grow from it. I work a lot on myself and it's a journey and I'm enjoying the journey. So that's how I view it. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brain or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Look. Rachel's a first-time CEO. I am not CEO now, but when I was a CEO, I had major imposter syndrome when I got into the seat. I believe that that is gender agnostic. They just don't talk about it. We're much more in tune with our our self-doubts, but I think we not just figure it out, but the honesty and candor actually becomes part of who we are as leaders and makes us more approachable. Or at least that's what I tell myself to convince myself of that. But it's incredible that you've gone from putting on the clothes of the products and the brand to now running the show. And I think that that's also a fantastic, you know, we have a lot of CMOs and chief marketers that are listening to the podcast. So to hear that momentum, even though you're a co-founder, from being responsible for the branding and the marketing to overlooking the whole thing is pretty extraordinary. Not to mention the fact that you've diversified this portfolio so much. And one of the things that I find fascinating about your brand is you guys aren't huge yet, but you have products that cross-sect, both shelf-stable and perishable. You're in multiple aisles. You've got distribution that is just enviable. But how do you think about podcasts is called Brave Commerce. How do you think about the E part of commerce when you've got some SKUs that are more challenging to support from an e-com perspective? than others? I think that's a great question. I think first, I'll jump to the E parts in a two-step answer to your question. We did something last year that was extremely valuable for our company. We had our first strategy meeting. Now, I always thought strategy was overrated. I'll be like, I had no idea. I mean, who has time for this? Just like coaching. I never thought like, who does that? I completely switched my mind on that. We had an amazing strategy session. But I think the thing with strategy is that 
you really need to dissect who you are as an organization, as a company, and what is the purpose that you have in this world? Why does your company exist, right? And you need to be able to answer those set of questions in order to make decisions that make sense for your company and that will provide that scale for your company. For our assortment, for instance, we had to answer one question. What can we be best at in the world? That question is huge. It's uh, from Jim Collins, good to great. So if you read The Hedgehog, The Three Circles, that's the exercise we've done. And to answer that question, we also had to answer, what can we never be best at in the world, right? Like, what do we actively say no to as a company? Our what can we be best at in the world is making European foods mainstream. And that goes across our portfolio, right, from our breakfast products to our cookies, but also the way the consumer shops and engages with our product the experience that it has, if you think about it, Americans have coffee like super fast on the street, like uh, like two seconds. Europeans, we sit down, we have coffee, we have it with a cookie, we spend five minutes, we chill. It's an experience about this. Another way we did it is with our breakfast items. Our breakfast, Americans eat breakfast frozen, frozen breakfast. When I come to the US, I was like, what is frozen breakfast? I had never heard of it in my whole life. In Europe, we shop those items refrigerated. And if you think about it in the store or even on e-com, where would you buy, like what are other items complementary to breakfast? Eggs, milk, yogurt, orange juice, refrigerated. In that physical retail stores, we changed where we are merchandised. We went to that dairy department. This is a way that Europeans shop that we are bringing to the US. Now, getting to the e-com space, we've been extremely successful at working with consolidators, I want to say places where the consumer comes to buy their weekly groceries. Dot-coms that have platforms, that have other items that are complementary where the consumer can come and find our product at a similar price than it is in these stores and get that added value of it is delivered, it is easy. I actually get that, hey, you ordered this and this is complementary to that item because you put this in your basket. That's been great for Belgium boys. DTC, our website, I think it's something else. Our product sells for like $6.99 on the shelves. For it to make sense for us as a business to sell it to the consumer direct, we need to sell a very, very large bundle. It's perishable. You need to use ice. It needs to get there in two days. Who has space in their fridge for 10 boxes of our mini pancakes? I wish we had focused on answering that question. There has to be one super loyal customer that has done that. We do. (laughs) Her name is Susan. She's like 90 something years old and she orders a case of crepes, like a 12 pack every month by the phone. She's amazing. But think about the consumer and think about what you're solving for them. And I do think our product solves a lot. It's quick, easy, delicious, make breakfast easy. But the convenience of getting it through our website it's not convenient when it gets to your home, plus the price point, which gets so expensive. And I think it brings up questions of food and bev in DTC on your own website. I mean, I think about it myself. I shop online. Do I go on 25 different websites to buy my weekly groceries? No, I don't do that. I don't have the luxury of time to do that. 
And that's why I think those platforms where you have a lot of options and it's like, I add this, 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 this to my basket, offer that better for CPG brands. You're raising a number of very good points to unpack. There's the challenge of DTC just by virtue of the fact that you got to hit a certain threshold to make it worth your time and effort. And so you've got to hit a profitability target and all that other stuff. Not to mention the fact that Like you said, people don't shop on different sites for their groceries. And if you want to get into the habitual elements, you got to be where the consumer is. So totally get that. I understand the importance of having DTC, A, to own your brand and defend your brand. But I think one of the things that's been a good sobering effect of 2022, I'm a big proponent of this, is you got to think about your DTC not as another channel. It's just a different way to meet high demand or high loyalty customers in a very different way. But let's park that. I'm in full agreement. And frankly, I think that this is one of those things where everybody felt like they had to get into the DTC business because that was the buzzword of the moment. And now it's like, how do I make any money on this? What's interesting a little bit though, is the fact that you are actually saying, let's put ourselves in the dairy because that's the way that we want to actually change shopper behavior. Not we want to reflect shopper behavior. So you're you're basically putting in two hurdles here. Hurdle one is introducing your products in an aisle that they're not used to. And two is saying, you should be enjoying this a different way on a different occasion than the one that you're trying to do. What gave you the confidence to believe that both would be true in America? Sarah, I just would like to add a 1A, which is when you were going to retailers, how did you convince them to put you in the refrigeration section? It took a lot of time. I'll be honest with you, right? When we came and we were like, we want to do this. When we started our business, people looked like, what are you talking about? No, who does that? And that was the answer. That was the no we were getting for many years, for many people. How I heard that in the beginning was a no, you suck. How I started to hear it as time evolved was like, not yet, not right now. Prove it, show me, get me data, and then let's chat. And so our start at Refrigerated Breakfast was really with Costco. We did one rotation, it did really well. And then we went back with our numbers. See, that wasn't enough data for retailers. They needed more. We actually uh, launched at Walmart in 65 stores back in 2019. We grew that business from 65 stores to a thousand stores in four years. Awesome. It took a long time. And we really wanted to make sure that we understand what works, what aisle, how, when, which stores, what geographic, what demographic, all those things. And the real answer is we're doing something that has not yet been done before in the US. So you need time for people to understand what you're talking about first. But also to know for yourself, like, am I like thinking that this is going to work or am I actually delivering? In our case, we were delivering. It just took time for us to be able to show it and to present it in a way that for retailers were like, okay, yeah, every second I don't have you on the shelf is a second I actually lose revenue. And you got to tell that story. Now to answer the consumer, I think there is change in behavior. Actually, that's not really... How I see it in our case, we haven't forced our product into an aisle that it's not meant to be in. And you're like, hmm, interesting. 
when our customer comes and I do this, it's, it's a bit creepy, but I go and I stand in my aisle and I just watch people and I see how they react. And like, I ask them a bunch of questions and I talk to our consumer. Most answers are like surprise and delight. I'm delighted to find this item here. I'm coming to this shelf to buy my eggs to buy my dairy. And all of a sudden I find products that are complementary that might actually, that will make my life easier where that breakfast routine is just going to be a happy one where everybody's smiling. There is less stress, one less thing I need to worry about. And when they finally try it, it's like, I need this in my life. Yes. In some cases there is changing behavior. And I think those are harder, but when you're able to find something that really just makes sense, it's incremental. It really is incremental, not only for the retailer, but for the consumer and for their daily habits. You talked about going from 65 Walmart stores to a thousand in four years. So what were those key data points that allowed you to start to scale across the retailers? So from the 65, it really was like, okay, like, are we right? Do we have more velocities in refrigerated than in frozen? We were measuring that against data points from other retailers where we were placed in frozen. Then it was about where. Okay, what geography? Where does Belgian boys have a brand awareness? Okay, but I'm not going to go from 65 to 1,000 stores. My supply chain, my operation is going to explode if I do that, right? Like I need to figure out how it is to work. And that's how we went from 65 to 300, scaled that to 700 and then to 1,000 stores at Walmart. We replicated that at Target. We went from 200 stores to 400 something in 12 months. Today, you can find us in refrigerated breakfast at Whole Foods, Kroger, Meyer, Fresh Markets, and many more coming. So it's definitely exciting. I feel like there's a lot of momentum. But for us, it's been building up for the past four or five years that we've been on this journey. But 22 is really a year where we've seen okay, let's do it from a lot of retailers. It's so impressive. One of my early investors is this guy, Gary Vaynerchuk. He said something to me when he first wrote a check into McMac, and this is now eight years ago. And he said, Rachel, it takes five years to build a real business. So I love that you just said five years, 2022, the real inflection point for you. So that's so exciting. I think about it in a way like we're in New York. There's like tall skyscrapers. Before you can build your skyscraper, you got to build a foundation. And if you don't have deep foundation, you can't start building the floors. It's just going to poof, fall down. You've had many acts of bravery with this business. Curious how you're going to answer this question. What's the bravest thing that you've ever done? Hmm. The bravest thing I ever done. That's a hard one. I think it was just change the way I do things. I actually was suffering from extreme burnout. That was in August, 2020, the pandemic. I had a newborn at home. I was working with my husband. I mean, so many challenges of the pandemic, the pivot, and it took a toll. And I was in a dark place. It was really, really hard as was for a lot of people, right? I got tricked into a session of mindfulness by my brother. And my brother was like, I'll babysit your kids on a Sunday morning. You have this call. And I'm like, you babysitting both kids Sunday morning? That's weird. But okay, sure. I'll take the call. And Greg and I both took the call and we were like, hi, yeah, so this is Belgium boys. Really thinking we, we were pitching our business or something. 
And she's like, talk to me, tell me. And I'm like, okay, this is not what I thought. I was not a believer of mindfulness, meditation, multi, like I wasn't like, that was not my thing at all. It was such a, I want to say a turning point for me to say, this is the thing I need to do. I need to acknowledge that the way that I've been doing things has led me to get to this stage of how I feel. And I need to be brave and change something about myself. And mindfulness is the way I start my week. I have my coach on 9 a.m. every Monday. I wouldn't be here had I not gone and changed my life. It has brought joy into my life. I'm extremely, extremely grateful to my brother, to my coach, and to myself for actually doing the work because it's not just something you do. You have to be it. You have to live it. I'm very proud of myself for that, actually. Yay. (laughs) I'm so blown away. And I have to tell you, there are not enough people that actually talk about that in a way that is approachable because we just spent the past 20-something minutes hearing about you as a badass entrepreneur who has basically not just climbed mountains, but summited mountains and then found new ones. And to be a combination of vulnerable as well as find the thing that works for you. I'm just, you know, I'll plus one, the mindfulness. People probably wouldn't say I'm the kind of person that might do yoga, meditation, headspace. I am a triple engager on those three. But two years ago, if you would have said the same thing to me, I would have been like, Yeah, talk to somebody else. So thank you for sharing. Perhaps we might open some minds to some other people about other ways to learn how to manage stress, burnout, and many other things. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Just learn how to react, respond, pause, et cetera. Anouk, thank you so much for sharing on so many levels. I love that you didn't take no for an answer. There's something about your resilience, your grit, your overall approach that I think is going to be so incredibly inspiring when our listeners have the opportunity to hear your personal and professional journey. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love this conversation. I mean, I'm being myself. I think that's the way forward. Be yourself and just go for it. And the no is not right now. I love First of all, entrepreneurs that have so much grit and resilience and make things happen. And that's absolutely enough. But I also love stories where we deeply understand what marketing is all about, which is to change people's behaviors or perceptions. You need to change the environment. And a nook story of how to reinvent American breakfast is just that. We've had other stories like this on the show. Sargento. It, in fact, is not just for lasagna, as Sarah said. It can be a snack. So go listen to Chris from Sargento's episode. We also have a similar theme with Nespresso, which is that the coffee experience, you can have a high-level barista experience right in the corner of your home or your office. And then take classic applesauce. You can actually get people to eat applesauce when they're beyond three years old. If you put it in a cool pouch like Capri Sun and even age up to adults who want a healthy snack. So please go listen to our friend Mark from Matern talk about the reinvention of applesauce. If you like what you're hearing on Brave Commerce, write us a review, like us, share with a friend, tell your corporate teams. This could be a great thing. Listen to a podcast and then have a meeting about it. 
Thank you so much. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.